Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, she's the 2020 Olympic gold medalist representing Team Canada, director of the Canadian Athletes Now Fund and world champion rower, Suzanne Granger. How are you doing today, Suzanne? I'm well. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like to do growing up? Mm, it's funny. I think what I actually like to do is pretty much anything but sports. <laughs> I actually grew up in Florida, and so I loved to be active. Um, we had a, a pool at our house, and so I, I swam, but sort of just fun, you know, Marco Polo standard kids games in the pool. Um, some see how close you can get to the alligator, like it's things that I guess maybe don't seem normal anymore but when we lived in florida seemed like perfectly fun outdoor activities safe careful we don't get too close to the gators but yeah i don't know i just i wasn't i tried all sorts of sports but because you know my parents suggested it not because i actually loved it so why do you feel that maybe sports wasn't your thing or something that you were passionate about at that time, but then eventually you fell in love with something in the future? Yeah, I think a little bit of it was that I kept being told I had so much potential as an athlete. I'm 6'2", and I've been this height since probably grade six or seven. So I've always been really tall, but everyone always said like, Oh, you're so tall. You'd be good at basketball or volleyball or like, you know, you could be a great runner. And I kept getting told that, but every sport I tried, I didn't actually see progress. Mm -hmm. I sort of felt like I wasn't very good at it. Tripped over my feet. When I tried to play basketball, I got told to, you know, catch the rebound, just put your hands in the air and then get rid of it as fast as you can. Like, don't, don't move your feet, just ditch it. And uh, so I think when I finally found rowing it was such a change to feel like when I put the effort in I saw progress whether it was actually happening or not the coach made me feel that way a change small he helped highlight that progress so that I saw that I was improving and I think that's what made me finally have interest in sports specifically rowing because I was like oh I could actually be good at this and I'm seeing that happen versus in other sports I sort of just always struggled to see improvement and get better. Were you ever exposed to rowing before you got into it? No, actually. Um, when we have a, a family friend is the one who introduced us or introduced me to it. Um, and when he said, Hey, you're really tall. You should try rowing. My first thought was what's rowing. I don't know what that is. I'm not <laughs> doing that. So I honestly didn't really know. I might've seen it, but it, I honestly didn't really sort of click with me. And I can be a little bit uh, hesitant to change or trying new things. And so when he suggested it, I was like, mm, nah, but he was able to convince me to come out and just give it a try. And that was it. It actually stuck. With rowing and being in Florida, it's probably a perfect combination because you're close to water. I'm in the Midwest, so getting to water destination takes a little bit of time. Does that kind of give you the benefit or an advantage at that when you first got started because you were so close to the water? Plus, that's the atmosphere down there. So I actually started rowing when we moved back to Canada. Oh, my, okay. Yeah, my, so we moved back to Canada when I went into grade eight. 
and being an angsty teenager, I was telling my parents, you're ruining my life. You're taking me away from my friends. And so I learned more recently that the coach actually asked me to start rowing and to give it a try because my parents had reached out to him to be like, please help us. She needs <laughs> something to focus her energy on, get rid of this teenage angst and find a new group of friends. Um, but once I was on the national team, actually, we traveled down to Florida in the spring for training camps. Um, and we went to a place called the land because it had this waterway that you could just row for kilometers on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was definitely, I found it a benefit, maybe not necessarily in the ways you think, but when we went down and we would be rowing along the canal and someone would be like, Oh my gosh, it's a gator. Or we'd see manatees. Like I, I wasn't freaked out to see gators. I thought it was really cool. I loved seeing the manatees. Those fat sea cows are so cool. <laughs> so it was a benefit to me. Also, I think the heat, cause I was, I knew how to deal with it growing up with it, but it, uh, we definitely got a lot of great miles back in Florida. So it was cool to be able to go back and visit where I, the, the state where I grew up when I was older. I feel like only Florida people would say, oh, it's just a gator when everyone else <laughs> is just running for the distance. It's true. It's true. My friends up here now are like, oh, it's just a bear. Like that's, it's fine. Like you, <laughs> if you know how to deal with it, it's not that bad. Or like, you just don't put yourself in harm's way, but everyone's like, oh my gosh, like gators are so scary. Like it, it's funny. I'm the other way. Like bears terrify me, but a gator, I'm like, there it's a gator. Like you just, you know, do your zigzag run and don't tick it off. Like it's, I guess it seems normal to me, but I've, I've learned that that's not normal. So definitely a Florida thing. Where in Canada did your family end up moving to? Um, we moved back up to Canada. We moved to London, Ontario. Okay. Yeah. And that was actually where the a hub for Canadian women's rowing was for a very long time. And then it ended up centralizing men and women out in BC in 2017. As you were growing up, did you have any influences or someone that inspired you growing up? I think without sounding super corny, my parents really inspired me growing up. Um, I didn't, I can't remember having like one specific role model sort of outside of that. Um, but my dad uh, is a, a vet. And so living in Florida, he was able to take care of some really cool like exotic animals. Mm-hmm. And so it was always really neat to be able to go to work with him and see how he like took care of these bizarre creatures as, as well as, you know, cats and dogs, but he really like has a way with animals. I call him like the dog whisperer. And so it was really just cool to see him in his element. And I remember for the longest time I wanted to be a vet because that's what my dad did. Um, and my mom actually switched careers in her forties. Um, she graduated law school the same year that I graduated high school. And so I looked up to, to her in the sense that it almost took the pressure off me to know exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I saw her you know, have three kids and a family and go back to law school and succeed and become a partner at a law firm. And so I think in a maybe somewhat corny way, my, my parents have sort of always been big role models for me. Definitely nothing corny about it because sometimes our parents are our biggest role models, our biggest support system out there. And they just want to see us do the best that we can. I mean, my mom's one of my biggest supporters and a role model for me. And 
if I didn't have that, I don't know where my track would take me because she's always there by my side to get to whatever goals I want to accomplish and things like that. So that's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you agree. With I am so interested about the exotic animals. Was there an animal that your dad took care of or helped that was like something that people would not expect to see in person almost? The one that I think of right away is the Komodo dragon. Okay. Um, super bizarre, like massive lizard. And so in Florida, they have like tiny little lizards that are essentially like as common as squirrels that just sort of run around all the time. We called them Larry lizards. I don't actually know <laughs> what they're called, but um, it was like seeing one of those on steroids. Like it was huge, so massive. And so that was really cool. And I don't think the person was legally allowed to own it. And so it was interesting to see it in real life and sort of have my dad sort of like, like, Oh, uh, okay. Like we'll make sure that it's okay, but you know, got to make sure we're not breaking any rules here. So it's uh that's the one that really sticks out. But I do know too, that in vet school, he um, got to take care of uh, like a hippo and oh. uh, the guy that was, I guess, I don't say owned it, but it was part of a zoo or something, I think. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, you can put it, your, your head in its mouth. My dad was like, that's the number one thing you don't do when you get a hippo. <laughs> um, but I guess it's like, it's trained as a, you know, a zoo animal is, I suppose, for entertainment in a, maybe somewhat of a sad way, but it, uh, it I just remember looking back as a kid in the photo album and seeing a picture of my dad with his head in the mouth of a hippo. So fairly, a it's a unique family photo album to have. <laughs> You probably see videos all the time of people doing that same exact thing, putting their head in a hippo. I'm like, nope, nope. Mm-mm. You couldn't pay me <laughs> enough money to do that. Hard pass. <laughs> As you're getting older, going to college, education, go, or going to the workforce, what was that next path for you? Were you wanting to be an athlete in college? Did you want to just find what you were passionate about in college or right into the workforce? My sort of idea of what I was going to do in life changed a lot. Um, for the longest time, like I said, I wanted to be a vet and then I really wanted to be a dermatologist. And I think that was sort of like the prevailing desire for the longest period of time, probably up until the first couple of years of university, um, which hilariously enough started off because one of my grandfather's friends is a dermatologist and he showed up with a different car every single time he visited. And, you know, as a, an eight-year-old, I was like, heck yeah, I want all those cool cars. And um, but then became more interested in it because of how it helped people. And I, I liked the human connection and sort of that aspect of it. But I did everything to set myself up for med school all through high school. And then um, even in early university days, but didn't actually know that it was possible to row after high school until partway through my last year of high school. Um, an American school reached out to me and said, hey, we saw you row at an indoor competition. Uh, we want to have you come visit. Like, are you interested in that? And so that was sort of my first tipping point to be like, oh, hey, maybe this could be something I go, you know, past high school with. And when I started rowing, being the competitive person I am, I was like, oh, I really would love to be able to be good enough to take this right to the top mm-hmm. and, you know, be the best at what I do. So it was always a dream of mine to go to the Olympics, but not something that I actually sort of set out to accomplish right away. And so when I got asked 
to come visit this school. I was like, oh, wow, okay, maybe, maybe it is possible. And so then I started reaching out to schools and did my own research to see maybe where I would want to go and tried to find one that was really great academically, but also had a really good rowing team because I'm, you know, competitive. I'm just like, I want to go yeah. to the one that does really well. Um, and so I ended up going to the University of Virginia on a scholarship, which at the time was the uh, top public university in the States um, and has always sort of remained in the top tier. But I did my first two years of undergrad to set myself up for med school. And then when the rowing practices and my labs started to clash, I decided or I realized that I could be okay at both of them or really good at one of them. And so I remember sitting down with my coach and saying, I need absolute real talk right now. Like, do you think this is something that I can continue on with after university? Do you think I have a shot if I put the effort into it to make a national team and go to the Olympics? Because if not, I'm going to, you know, put all of my eggs in the school basket and really try and go that way. Um, And his words to me were, you know, if you work really hard, I think you can. When you first showed up here, I didn't, I wouldn't have said yes, but he's like, having seen you for two years now, I like truly believe that you've got something special. Um, And I remember talking it over with friends and family and came to the conclusion that I could always go back to school, but I couldn't always try to go to the Olympics. So switched my career path pretty quickly and started taking uh, political classes. And so I ended up double majoring in American government and studio art. and then did a master's while I was training with the national team in Canadian American relations. So really nothing like I'd originally set out to do and really nothing like the job um, that I was doing before Matt leave. So I'm not entirely sure how it all (laughs) happened, but I guess it's a blessing that I have so many interests. Um, It can sometimes be a curse and that I'm never really too sure what to pick, but um, I think it's, it's cool to be able to, to do a bunch of different things. And I really liked, I loved my university experience. So it's a long winded answer to your question. (laughs) If you looked back and you had to make that decision again, would you still have gone the same route where wanting to be an athlete going for being the top, or would you have changed your mind and gone to be a dermatologist still? Or do you feel that the path you've taken is how it should have been written? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a hard question to answer, but I don't think I would have changed anything. Um, I do think had I not really tried to go after rowing, I probably would have wondered what if. Yeah. Um, there are still moments now when I think like, oh, I, I just, I love the idea of being able to help people in the medical realm. Um, and so I haven't necessarily fully closed the book on something like that, but it's, you know, years of schooling. And so it would definitely be a, a, long commitment at this point but I wouldn't change anything if people ask me similar questions they're like would you do you wish your family had never moved you from Florida to Canada and like yeah like no I mean I'm I hadn't done that I wouldn't have met my husband and found rowing and won a gold medal but I loved living there too and so it's I think in a way I've gotten the best of both worlds out of both situations but 
every once in a while it just kind of like oh it would have been really cool to be in the medical field and helping people that way and it's not the doors closed it's just a lot harder now but it's hard to say I would want to rewrite history when I have a gold medal so, yeah yeah being an athlete what is the biggest thing it taught you about yourself at the beginning at the beginning part of being a rower I think it taught me that I didn't actually know how hard hard work was like when I before I started rowing I thought I knew what it meant to work hard at something mm-hmm. and then I started in sport and realized that where I thought my limit was wasn't where it was and I, honestly I think that's something that changed right up until I retired because every time we would sit down and go over like a race plan for our two kilometer race I would think, okay, wow, that was a great race plan. Like there's no way we could really expand on that. And then, you know, years later with another group of women, as the team has sort of, you know, turned over, we'll sit down and create another one. And I was like, wow, there's so much more to this sport than I realized. Like all of a sudden, again, there's this like new level. And so the, the days when practice was really hard in my first couple of years was an eye opener. And then even looking back only continued to get harder in the sense of being able to push past my limits more. And so I think sport really taught me what, you know, hard work and dedication, perseverance and all that can be, and that you can push past where you think you're able to like limits are not limits. I think that's such a thing that a lot of athletes figure out because if you want to be the best, you got to be able to put in the work. It's not just going to come easy or, Oh, you're going to get that million dollar contract and things like that. You got to push yourself and to get to the results you want. And you obviously have shown it even past your days at college, because just from what you were able to accomplish, it showed that the hard work that you put in, you got the results that you wanted. Yeah. And I, it didn't happen right away either. Like, I think that was something even like kind of like once again, realized after 2016, because I competed in Rio and my first Olympics. And when we, st- we stood on every single podium, that quadrennial, except for the Olympics and the race right before the Olympics. And so I think in my head, we'd put the hard work in, don't get me wrong. We definitely worked hard but because we worked hard. I almost thought it was guaranteed. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, we've worked hard. Like everybody wants it, but like we've worked hard. And I think when we came fifth, which is still pretty unbelievable in hindsight, I mean, fifth in the world is nothing to sort of, you know, put down. But when you expect it to come first, second or third, it definitely was a wake up call. And uh, it it made me realize going forward uh, in the next quadrennial that everybody wants it. Everybody works hard. It's not guaranteed. And so you have to work so hard that when you look back, you can't pick out any point of your journey and say, "Ooh." maybe could have done that slightly differently or I should have worked a bit tougher on that day because no matter what your result, you want to be able to walk away and be like, I did everything I could. So even if you don't stand on the podium, you can be proud of what you've you know, laid down on the race course. Talking about your world championship, the under 23 world champion, what was it like that experience being able to perform at the high level before getting to the Olympics? Yeah, I think that was sort of another realization for me that I could continue rowing after university 
I really didn't do a very good job of researching the path. I was sort of just <laughs> opened doors as I as I learned. But I uh, my university coach was connected with the Canadian under twenty three coach, and I suppose had said, you know, we've got a, a couple of Canadians here. Suzanne is one of them. Uh, you should reach out to her about training with the under twenty three team in the summer. And so. I think that was where I was like, oh, wow, this is the next step on the ladder. You know, if I can get in with the under 23 team, I'll get some experiences, maybe make a name for myself with Canadian rowing and have potentially an opportunity to even step up to the national team at some point. Um, and so that was one of those moments where I think I realized to a new level of working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I, I had to, you know, seat race my way into the under 23 women's eight. Um, and it rowing in a small boat, a pair was not something that I had really done in university. We focused so much on the bigger boats. Um, and so it was hard, but I, you know, made my way into the eight and all honesty squeaked in sort of right at the bottom of that rung, but made the eight. Um, and then being able to travel and compete against other countries, not other universities was the like have that sort of Canadian pride mm-hmm. and like be able to wear the maple leaf and represent a country in something bigger than yourself. What was the dynamic like working with seven other women in a boat where each one of you has your exact position, your act, your exact what you need to do, but did it ever get kind of chaotic? Everyone had their own opinions or did it actually work well? I mean, I think we all wish it would everyone meld and work together, but we know that there's some points in time that it happens. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. In, in a way, it all of that happened. And <laughs> there were, you know, it's technically there's nine personalities in an eight because the coxswain's actually the ninth person. And so you can only imagine that when you put nine adult women in a boat, that there's going to be some form of disagreement or, you know, it's, it's not, it's not always going to be smooth. And so I think one thing that's super unique about our sport is the team that eventually becomes the Olympic team competes within itself until that moment. And so these women that I rode within the eight up until that point, we were actually like going against each other to make that eight. And so it's a weird thing to be able you today like I'm just gonna smash this piece and I'm gonna make it so great that you know I get the best numbers but then get off the water and be like hey let's all go to dinner this will be so great so it's definitely it's it's tough but I think one thing in the final year in 2021 when we eventually got to compete as the eight that we realized was that those nine different personalities is what made our eight special yeah and that having all of those different viewpoints and bringing them all together and realizing that these differences could make us stronger was a huge benefit to us. And so we did a lot of work as a group to capitalize on each other's strengths and not view somebody else being really good at something and me not being as good as a, as a, as a weakness. And so it was sort of like, you know, at the beginning of a race, I'm not very good at, but the middle and end of the race is my jam. And so like, I know that the person sitting behind me 
was great at starts. And so I was like, great, she'll carry me through the first half. I just won't mess up and then I can help in the second. And so I think we put all of our strengths together and really made it work, but that doesn't mean there were hard times. So <laughs> it, it, it can be Okay, it, it just froze for a second. I was like, hold on, where is she? There she is. Oh, no. Um, I might hear. I'm just going to switch to better internet. Yeah, it should be okay. You mentioned earlier about your first experience at the Olympics. Being in Rio de Janeiro, was there a memory that has kind of lasted in your mind for since that time that you will remember forever? Like about the city or about my Olympic experience? Your experience being there like the first Olympic experience. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. The first thing that comes to mind is actually sort of like the very end of the experience. Uh, I remember the first thing that I thought of when I crossed the finish line in Rio was damn, now I have to do this again. And so <laughs> I, it was an amazing experience, but I think it was almost sort of like setting me up for my next experience of a quadrennial. Um, both very different, but every Olympic quadrennial is different. Every games is different. You come to expect the unexpected. Um, so I think in a way, my like biggest memory from it is knowing that I wanted to use it as a launching point. Like mm-hmm. I was crushed and disappointed and I don't actually remember the couple of months that happened after the Olympics. Um, I, it was it was a bit of a time of sleeping 14 plus hours a night and likely quite depressed without actually realizing it um, until later. But the actual experience of being able to row at the Olympics and sort of walking into the a venue for the first time was surreal because I think I had realized at that point that I'd accomplished what I first wanted to, which was to become an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And after our very first race, which was the heat, our coach said, you know, congratulations, you're now all officially Olympians. Like you've raced on the race course, it's, it's done. You can now always put that next to your name. Um, so it was an amazing experience. It wasn't the experience that I think I wanted going in, but again, I wouldn't change it. A lot of athletes usually have to wait four years to get to the next one, but during the, this Summer Olympics, it was a different kind of time that we were all going through where you had an extra year to wait. That extra year, was it hard waiting for the Olympics to come where you're like, I should be already here, but we have to wait 365 more days to get to that moment? Yeah, the way it happened was tough because it was first announced that if the Olympic games moved forward on their scheduled date, Canada wasn't going to send a team. Oh. And so when that came out, I I didn't really know what to think. I was like, well, I understand that we're trying to be safe, but like, would this actually happen? Like, would we not go and would the whole rest of the world move forward with this? And so I sort of thought, okay, other, like other countries have to get on board with us. Like that was sort of a a shocking thing, but it, 24 hours later, it was announced that the Olympics were delayed. And on that day, we had 42 days before our first original race in 2020. And so going from 42 days to then like, oh my gosh, we now have to hold another year was hard. 
because myself, like some other women on the team had decided that this was it. We were retiring after Tokyo was done. And so I was, you know, planning what was next. I had 42 days, you know, until I was this close to not freedom, but like moving Mm -hmm. on in life. Like it was rowing has been 18 years of my life. I want to know what's next. And so it, it was tough in that moment to hear that it got delayed. But again, I didn't question whether or not I would do it. I was like, you know, I've come this far a year is sucks to wait, but I've, it's a year. Like I've come this far. I can do it. Looking back. I don't want to be like, Oh, it only would have been a year. You could have made it through. So it, it was brutal, but I think it really made a huge difference in our journey. I can't speak for the other girls in the boat, but in my opinion, had we raced when we were originally supposed to, I don't think we would have stood on the podium. And so I honestly think that extra year changed everything for us. Um, we, you know, had a change in coaching. We obviously had to train at home on our own, but I think it really gave us the opportunity to completely 180 our team culture, the way we, you know, handled and dealt with each other, the way we came together to decide what our goals were. And so it, it sucked to wait, but I think we did a good job of using it as a positive for our team and turning it into a way to make us better. Why do you feel that if you originally did it in 2020, that it wouldn't have been the same outcome? We trusted each other as individuals, but we did not trust each other as a team. And so that extra year gave us the opportunity to learn each other's defaults when it, you, you know, get to the point in the race where you want to stop. Because mm-hmm. when you hit a certain point, it's really hard to all row the exact same way. And so we learned how each one of us sort of broke down in those moments. We learned how to help each other, you know, and support one another and do so in an actually authentic way. As I think, like I said, I trusted every one of my teammates individually, but when we came together, there were some doubts. And I don't even know if I could put like into words what they were but there wasn't that sort of unspoken trust and bond between the group of us. And I think that what we all went through in that extra year allowed us to fix that and form that, you know, overall trust and understanding that allowed us to make it through the difficult parts in a race and unspeak, like without anyone saying anything, know that we could step up when it came time. You talked about in the 2016 Olympics, your first heat, your coach said you're now an Olympian. Going into your second first heat in 2021, what was the feelings like? Were you nervous or were you like, I've been here before, I'm ready for this opportunity, I'm determined to go for the gold? It was a little bit of both because I felt prepared and knowing to expect the unexpected. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was our first international race in two years because of COVID. And we'd really only come together as an eight sort of towards the, like not long before the Olympics is what I'm trying to say. And so we were sort of fresh in the lineup that we were in um, and didn't really know our full potential as a boat, Um, believed that we had sort of that awesome potential, but had no idea how it would come together. Um, And so I was nervous in the sense that I, I I was, to be fair, worried about the things I couldn't control. Mm -hmm. 
um, a little bit because we hadn't seen any of the other countries race. We hadn't lined up against them in like over two years. And so that first race, I was honestly more nervous for that um, for the wrong reasons than I was in the final because I had no idea what to expect. It was sort of going to be the ground level experience for everyone because nobody had raced each other in so long. And so I, I didn't necessarily feel nervous to show up at the Olympics, but I was anticipated sort of what, where everyone was going to fall in rankings in that first race. Especially with that Olympics, things are changing. Um, teammates or opponents are maybe going to, with COVID and they're taken out of c- events and stuff. You just, like you said, you couldn't control a lot of the stuff that was happening. So you could get to race day and it could be a completely different lineup, completely different atmosphere, things like that. With yeah. representing Canada and the whole world watching, did it feel different the 2021 time than 2016 where we're all at home and this is excitement and we're all watching and paying attention and now you basically can watch this forever you you crossing the finish line for that gold medal yeah I think it felt different for me this time almost because I knew I had something to lose Mm -hmm. and I think I remember I was talking to my husband the night before our race and he was like, I don't know how you're going to sleep tonight. Like, he's like, I don't get it. Like, he's like, you, like, he was like, even just being nervous for your race for like how you would mentally move forward from a result. But he's like, all of Canada is watching you. Yeah. Like everyone is rooting for you. Like, this isn't even just something that's watched nationally. Like the world is watching your race. And I think it's, it sounds crazy intense to say that out loud, but I remember saying to him, I can only worry about me. Like it's no, it's not the time to worry about those things I can't control now. And so I think I did a good job. And I think a lot of us did a good job of worrying about what we could control and, you know, saying to ourselves, you know, we're, we're sitting here. It's, this is our moment. We're not going to stress about, you know, trying to impress anybody else, you know, we just need to do what we can do to make ourselves proud. And that was actually a goal that we'd come up with was to redefine excellence. We didn't have the goal of winning a gold medal because that's not something that we can control. So we said, we want to redefine excellence and make a statement on the world for what Canadian women can do. And so that allowed us to sort of really internally focus as that boat when we lined up to race and say like, this is, this is our goal. This is what we're going to accomplish today, no matter what people around us do. After winning the gold medal, did you have that moment? Like I accomplished what I wanted, but I'm ready for that next chapter in my life. Yeah. I think the way I've described it before, and it sounds really silly, is that I almost felt like the dog that chases the squirrel and then the one time actually catches it and is like, oh, <laughs> what now? <laughs> like, I didn't, like, I, I believed that we could, but almost in a way didn't expect it to happen. And so when it did, I was like, holy, oh my gosh, I've dreamed about this for years. Is this actually real? Um, and so, yeah, I think I was ready for what was next. And 
honestly so relieved that we'd accomplished what I really wanted to accomplish and that we all wanted, obviously, who doesn't want to win a gold medal, um, that I, I felt that I was ready at that point to say, okay, I've done what I came to accomplish. I honestly could not have won a higher level medal for my sport. I'm ready to move on to what's next. Um, and not everyone views it that way. Some of my teammates said, Hey, wow, you know, you won a gold medal. How can you stop now? Like, <laughs> that's just a like, great, like launching point. Like, why would you not want to keep going? Um, but I think for me personally, you know, 18 years, I was ready to hang up my oars on gold. So it, uh, it sometimes still is really hard to believe that it's real. Um, it's tough too. Like, I think because that, like everything hurts so much in the race, you're body almost like prevents you from remembering some of those painful moments I just can remember crossing the finish line and being like in utter shock and having no idea whether I was dreaming or if it was real and there's a a board that is at the finish line um, that's at every international race course that will list the ranking of the boats across the finish line in case there's a photo finish Um, but it's only visible to the athletes on the race course Mm -hmm. and so every time we were on a training, we were training on international course before racing or during racing, whatever, I would always look over to that board and across the finish line and visualize seeing like one CAN and saying, like, you know, that's like, that's my dream. That's my goal. I'm visualizing it. I'm going to think about what that would feel like, how I would react, what it would look like. And so when we crossed the finish line and I looked over at the board and saw Canada in the first, it was like an unbelievably shocking, amazing, surreal moment. Because when you dream of something that such a small percentage of people in the world get the opportunity to try to do and then even accomplish, it's just pretty unbelievable. For the last 18 years, your career was being a rower. What was something now that's fun that you're hoping to accomplish personally? Not like as a professional goal, but a personal goal that you want to accomplish. Um, embarrassingly, it's still a little bit sport related. <laughs> um, I'm 12 weeks out from having a baby. Uh, I had my daughter Madeline, um, on July 8th and it being a mom is like a whole new world. Um, and so I think my goals now are to just really be patient with myself, but find ways to sort of build back into athleticism um, mm-hmm. and sort of set new targets and new goals for myself in what a post elite sport world looks like for me. And so I want to be active for as long as I can. And so finding what my new normal will be, cause I'm not training three times a day, every day of the week anymore. <laughs> um, and so finding like a happy balance between being an athlete in normal person life, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll say, um, and, you know, spending time with family and raising a daughter with my husband. As your daughter gets older, is there anything you've learned from your journey that you hope that she utilizes? Kind of like the mindsets, the tools, the goals that you've had that you hope that she instills in her, whatever path she goes on, what if she wants to be an athlete, a career woman, any of those kind of things. I hope she's stubborn in the best ways possible because <laughs> I'm a very stubborn person. And I think I realized that in sport, I don't, 
I learned not to take no for an answer. When I wanted to go to the University of Virginia, the coach said to me, you know, I don't really think you're good enough for a scholarship at this point. And which to be fair, I probably wasn't. But I said, okay, what do I have to do? Like, tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. And, you know, he's like, okay, well, you need to improve your ERG score and you need to show me that you can, you know, increase and have better rowing technique. And so I was like, okay, fine. And so every single day I called him and told him what I changed. I was like, this was my, these are my numbers today. This is my score. This is what I worked on. This is my coach's feedback. And I think after I called him three or four times that week, he's like, okay, okay, okay. You know what? (laughs) It's fine right now. I'll, I'll send you the papers right now. It's done. I'll give you the scholarship. You can come to UVA. And so I hope that she doesn't take no for an answer. And if she's really passionate about something that she pushes for it and that she says, nope, this is what I want to do. Cause all it takes is one person to say yes. Exactly how you were, where you wanted to not take the word. No, I'm that same way. If someone tells <laughs> me I can't do something, I'm going to find a way and do it. Because when I was growing up, like with sports, everyone looks at you, they judge you. They're like, oh, you're not athletic. You're not last pick. And I go, okay, let me prove you wrong. Get yeah, out there fine. on the pick court. Pick me, <laughs> me last. I get out there and they're like, oh, and like, yeah, <laughs> because that's something that drives me, that keeps me mm-hmm. going. And I feel like even with now with social media and people thinking they're experts at everything, they're like talking down to people. It's like, I'm going to do it how I want to do it, but I'm going to still show you I can do it. And so I love that mindset that you have because I would be the same way if I had kids. Be that same way. Do not take the word no because anything you put your mind to it, you're going to go accomplish it. Yeah. I used to always sort of think to myself, like, go ahead, tell me I can't do it. I dare you. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Watch what happens. With your support system, your husband, on your journey, was that something special that he was always there to support your dreams? That if you wanted to be at the next Olympics, that 2020, it's weird saying 2021, but that Olympic in Tokyo, but he was there to support you and be behind you no matter what, so that you could go and accomplish that. Yeah. Um, actually he'd probably laugh thinking about the story, but on our very first date, I asked him, Hey, I'm going to try and go to the Olympics. Rowing is going to be one a you're going to be one B. Are you okay with that? I wasn't wasting any time. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I mean, miraculously he said yes. And I mean, it, uh, it has been unbelievable to sort of have him in my corner and supporting me. And I I don't know if it would be something I really would have been able to do without such an amazing support system, my family as well. And when the Olympics were delayed, you know, he didn't hesitate to support the decision I was going to make because we talked about, you know, when we would start our family and whether, where we would live, you know, what our lives would look like after rowing and the decisions that I make obviously affect him too. And so when the games got delayed, even though I sort of made the decision in my head without him, which probably Mm -hmm. isn't right, he you know, didn't hesitate to support me and say, okay, yeah, you know, this is your dream. This, that's what we'll do. We'll, you know, push everything we have down a year and we'll just make it work. And so I think I've, I'm so lucky to be with somebody that can buy in and support my dreams and, you know, be proud of me for doing what I want to do. And I think it's, it, I, it amazes me 
and I love it but every once in a while he'll sort of call me into the living room and be like hey come here like we need to watch something and he'll put my race on the tv and be like he's like I just need to remind you that you're an Olympic champion we're gonna watch your race and it's heartwarming because I know that he really loves me unconditionally and supports me in everything I do and I I just really hope that in this next chapter of our lives that I can still like it's always been about me in that sense and so I hope that I can show him too that I'm as invested in in his dreams and what he does and and raising our daughter as well now he needs to just go get Olympic gold medalist yeah. you match you now <laughs> there you go yeah double gold medals and then your competitiveness would be like, well, no, I got to get another one now. I got to have two over him. <laughs> He's told me that we could never go on the amazing race because I would make it unfun because I'm too competitive. Oh, that would be, that would be amazing for you guys to go on that. I think so. But he has, he said, no. he's like, no, <laughs> you just got to find a team, uh, former teammate and be like, Hey, we're going to go to the amazing race. Let's just sign up right now. Cause I know Canada yeah. has their own version of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to figure it out. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish both professionally, but personally? What's on that bucket list for you? Um, honestly, I don't know. I think I, at least in a broad strokes, I want to do something that I'm passionate about um, and make a difference. I think being as competitive as I am, I want to be the best at what I do. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that is and whatever that means, I want to find a way to be the best at it. And I, I mean, I'm passionate about helping people and that's a big part of my current job. Um, I'm on that leave, so I'm never really too sure how to refer to it. Um, but working with can fund or Canadian athletes now, it is something that actually supported me while I was an athlete, um, but it's a charity that gives money to um, athletes that are either competing at the Olympics or trying to get to that level. Um, and it's amazing how many people it supports. Um, at the most recent games, it supported 96% of the athletes that competed, of the female athletes that competed um, in the Winter Olympics. Uh, I think overall, men and women, para and able-bodied um, can fund has supported over 86% of all the athletes that can compete at the games since Sydney. So it's an uh, amazing support system behind the scenes. And I just, I know how much of a difference it made for me when you're, you know, being an athlete, you can't get a part-time job. You, can, you don't have that time to do that. And so can fund really finds a way to step up when you need it. And so working with them is something I'm passionate about. And it's amazing to sort of know from the inside, how much of a difference a grant like that can make. And then now being on that side, being able to make that difference in an athlete's life. And so I think I'm very lucky to to have the opportunity to change lives in that way. Um, and to hopefully, you know, just raise awareness that even though, we are Olympic athletes or even just sport in general, people need that support. And so I think no matter what, I want to be passionate about what I do. And I'm absolutely passionate about helping people and specifically helping athletes because I've had that opportunity and I want to be able to give that to somebody else as well. I like the kind of the foundation of that program, because even as yourself as being an athlete, you still get to kind of have that 
athlete feel where you're helping others. You get to be a part of their experience and be able to find them so that they can go live out their dreams just like you did. So I yeah. like I like that the mission statement because I know there's been topics in media and news where about pay for Olympic athletes or they can't afford to get there. And so it's such a great thing that what Canada is doing for those athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's shocking when you realize the costs that some athletes, you know, bear as an Olympian or even just an athlete trying to get to that level. I mean, some of the winter athletes, their team fees are 30 grand and they have to pay that out of pocket. And so, you know, a grant from CanFund is $6,000 and that can help take that, you know, chunk off of that. And it's uh, the average athlete is in debt, just over $2,500, I think it is. And so it's, it's mind blowing just how expensive it can be to compete for your country. And everyone expects you to perform and wants to see you succeed, but it means a lot when they're able to sort of help with the behind the scenes as well, because it, it takes years to get there and that's expensive. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I think something similar to what I said before would be don't take no for an answer. I think it's going to be really hard. Not every day will be perfect. There'll be a lot of really, really tough days. A lot of people will probably say no. But like I said, you only need one person to say yes. So I think that's one thing that I always try to highlight when I talk about my journey is it's not all rainbows and flowers. And so like, it's okay if it sucks sometimes, but, you know, keeping your head up and finding a way to make it through that and finding that support system that will, you know, be behind you on those days that you can keep going and find that person that will say yes and give you that opportunity. So I guess be stubborn and don't get an answer. (laughs) Well, Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. Thanks. It's been fun talking with you. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.